The following podcast is part of the Joy Road Media family. Enjoy. Horror, starting with Tales from the Crypt. Hi, I'm your least favorite camp counselor, Tish Delano. And I'm the other one, who is finally kinda healthy enough, Lauren Jewell. Woo! <laughs> Yay! Still not a hundred, but no. better than what it was. And now I'm scared, because I thought your drink was my drink, and took a big ol' sip, and yep. I was like, oh no, and then like, one minute later, you were hacking your head off, and I was like, oh god. <laughs> yup. Oh god, no. You're welcome. <sighs> Hey, guess what, campers? I'm 30. It's my birthday. I can officially say I have gone 30 years without breaking a bone. Oh, boy. Now you just jinxed yourself. I I mean, I've been jinxing myself for at least five years now. I think we're fine. Until, like, a meteor falls from the sky and hits you and, like, breaks, like, every bone. So do I get to be, like, Stephen King when he's the farmer and have meteor shit? Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Because it worked out so well for him. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Camp Counselor T. Yes, Camp Counselor Lauren. Do you have anything for the bulletin board? I don't this week. I was pretty surprised and I I tried to thoroughly check the episode out to see if I had anything, you know, any warnings, any anything like that. I don't have any special announcements. It's been a slow week. Good. This is fine. This is totally fine. I need a slow week. <laughs> well, in that case, do you want to go creeping through that crypt? Let's go creeping through that crypt. All right. So, here's your creeperosity. Not gonna lie, my creeperosity this week is not the most exciting. There was no rabbit hole to jump down. However, the first issue of the Tales from the Crypt comic, which, by the way, was published by the EC Comics, was October-November of 1950. Damn. And I got that information from the Tales from the Crypt wiki page. It's one of my favorite websites. I have been known to dabble there myself. Excellent. Don't know why I said that all creepy, but here we are. It's fitting. This is Season 2, Episode 13, Corman's Calamity. And this is your synopsis. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is based off of the 31st issue of the Tales from the Crypt comic. Art comes to life in this episode. Tales from the Crypt comic book artist Jim Corman has encountered a bit of a creative block. But with the help of his experimental pills, his art is suddenly jumping off the pages and causing all sorts of shenanigans, which ensue, and everybody gets what they deserve. All right, so we get into the episode, and the Crypt Keeper is basically pretending to be a ghoulish Norman Rockwell. Yeah, there is a lot of artception happening here. And then this episode takes a turn for the meta. This is a very 
quote-unquote meta episode because the Crypt Keeper, first of all, brings up the Tales from the Crypt comics. Look how original. Tales from the Crypt based off of Tales from the Crypt. He lets us know that we're going to get a behind the screams look into the world of a comic artist. Enter the Tales from the Crypt comic office of none other than Jim Corman. So I love this introduction of the episode because you get to hear it's just my imagination playing by the temptations and you're getting like this really cool preview of all the things in this office and there's like a snake in a jar and some reference materials it looks like and other than the creepy shit it's pretty normal. Yeah so I wrote down the collection of creepy knickknacks and nerdy knickknacks that I could spot. Excellent. Yeah there was that weird skull that had like candles coming out of the eyes. Um, There was a Jabba the Hutt action figure, a Frankenstein action figure and then we see a wedding photo with the groom looking unhappy and the bride looking a little too happy and a huge collection of Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt comics. Campers, on a very unrelated note, if you are hearing this sound of a cat purring, that is my eldest cat, Sharpie, saying hello. She is currently nuzzling my laptop because I am not actively petting her myself. Ah, Sharpie. However, back to the episode. Back to the episode where we finally meet Jim Corman, a very nerdy comic artist with, I wrote, quote, interesting, unquote, taste in shirts. See, I wrote down about him so far is things I love about Jim. One, everything. Two, his festive shirt looks like the 80s threw up on it. I said, reminds me of something Screech from Saved by the Bell would have worn to the beach. Can confirm. (laughs) Yes. Jim is stressed out when a co-worker pops in to see how he's doing, followed by his editor, Bob. Both men are shocked that Jim has not finished the, what was it, a brain-eating scene? Corpse Eaters from Pluto. So then Bob and his co-worker, whose name is Art, and I finally figured out that he's credited as Art in the credits, and I could not figure out they never say his name. It's on the door. There's like a five seconds where you see their office doors closed and you see it says Art, I think it's Art Goldstein. Oh. Yes. So that it's Art. So Bob and Art stand right next to Jim and loudly, loudly pitch ideas back and forth while Jim is desperately trying to finish this comic panel. And listen, listen, I want to know how me and you can get that job because we'd be so fucking good at it. Right? Like coming up with different, like creepy scenarios and ways that people could murder other people? Like, come on. I mean, I do that already and I don't even get paid for it, so. Frustrated, Jim snaps at the two men and saying he's struggling to get the corpse eaters done just right. And the pleasant banter of the three men comes to a halt when there is a knock on the door. It's a very intimidating knock. Suddenly, Bob and Art pretend that they have a phone call and they go run and hide in their office. Yes. And in walks a very angry woman who looks like she's wearing a dress based off the Wonder Bread bag. I wrote, it looks like someone took a clown suit and repurposed it into a dress. I mean... (laughs) 
I would wear it. I would wear that dress. It means it'll be a bit more flowy and no hat. Yeah, it's a, it's the three big round bulbousy buttons on the front that go down a line that remind me of like the little pom poms yes. that you'll see on the front of a clown suit. And it's like there's a rainbow polka dot. Like, yeah. I, I so far all we know is that her and Jim clearly have similar fashion sense. This woman that walks in is his wife Mildred, and she immediately starts accusing him of cheating on her and is upset that he's working on a Saturday and calls him a stingy two-timing loser. Yeah, she is convinced that he has a blonde bimbo, her words, not mine, stashed somewhere in the office. She is incredibly verbally abusive. On top of calling him names, she belittles his job by referring to it as drawing dumb cartoons and then says it's not a real job, which I took to heart. It seems that Mildred's biggest complaint with Jim being at work on a Saturday is that he can't give her children, to which he argues that the doctor said it could have been either of them and that he's taking the pills. With that dynamic, how? How does Jim even get it up? Ha. With that, like, because you, I don't imagine she's much nicer at home. How do you get aroused for someone that is calling you a fucking loser, like, to your face? Like, and I can imagine if he struggled at all. So I had some theories of, is it, does, does he get fear boners? I think so. Or, or is it hate fucking? Because hate fucking oh. is valid. So those were my theories about how that could potentially work. I'm going to say it's a kink. I'm going to agree with that part. So Mildred. Mildred busts into her purse and brings out this pill bottle and said, you mean these pills? These pills are called Potency Plus, the answer to male fertility. Bitch is fucking crazy and counted them and we find out that he missed taking the pill this morning. Yeah, and he's totally mortified because, reminder, he's at work and his corkers are totally listening in right now. So, yeah, Mildred is being super controlling. Mildred is being super controlling and I have the note here that maybe Mildred's red gloves and red hat are made from all of the red red flags that she just tosses around. Ha Yeah. I enjoy our ability to make a red flag reference pretty much every episode. Well, to be fair, in every episode, there's always somebody that is just throwing off a million red flags. That's true. That's uh, true. Yeah. I, I do enjoy that next, Mildred slaps, but I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say her uterus. <laughs> she slaps her belly area where the uterus would be and refers to him making a Mildred Jr. No, thank you. <laughs> no, no, the world does not need a Mildred Jr. Jim shares his concerns about the pills and says that they're not even approved by the FDA and they think that they are affecting his brain and oh Jim little do you know Mildred doesn't care and Jim gives up the fight and takes his pill but not before he fires back one parting shot that maybe she just needs a new husband oh you'd like that wouldn't you because clearly his plan is to you know get rid of Mildred and then hook up with one of the honeys in the secretary pool. Indeed. Indeed. So she makes a comment about like, till death do us part, which doesn't say a whole lot for the Tales from the Crypt universe. No. (laughs) But whatevs. And as soon as she leaves, Jim gets this like 
moment of adrenaline when it comes to drawing and he just starts going at it. Bob and Art come out and comment, what a monster. Referring to Mildred, not the monster on the page. Jim focuses back on his assignment. And this is another moment and I paused my DVD and took a photo of it and I just want to know, does the guy that's in the monster drawing kind of look like Kevin Smith? Yeah, yeah, he does. Very much look like Kevin Smith. Excellent. I like it when I'm not crazy. No, you're not. So then we cut to the laundromat. Jim is there folding his tidy whities and we spot a gorgeous young thing, Lorelai, who is also doing her laundry, you know, as one, one does, does at it, a laundromat. Y- yeah. Um, Jim can not stop eye-fucking her. In his defense, she's doing it right back. I mean, she is, but like, even when she, like, she looks away, turns around, whatever, he just continues to just stare. And thankfully, she's clearly likes what she sees, so she's not creeped out or offended. But I was a little like, goddamn Jim, like, tone it down maybe just a scotch. Just, just a scotch. You know what else is pretty impressive? Hmm. His tidy whiteies sure are white. They're very white. They're so clean and Chris, good job doing your own damn laundry, Jim. Right. That man knows his way around a bleach bottle. So he leaves and they eye flirt the entire way he's walking out. And then she turns away. And as he's walking past the window, he keeps staring at her. I thought he was honestly going to trip and fall and face plant at that point. Oh, that would have been so good. I know. That would have been freaking hilarious. But alas, he walks away with his laundry. So now all alone in the laundromat, Lorelai sits and pulls out her romance novel. Gotta love a good trash novel. Yeah, it's a real corset buster. And she's content to sit there and read until the power goes out. Yeah, that's pretty bizarre to just kind of happen. Like, there's no storm in the background. It's pretty normal in the middle of the night. And while she gets up to investigate, a man creeps up behind her, and we learn that he's the reason that the power went out, and bloop! There goes his switchblade. And he says, I don't like it as much when the lights are on. I like Lorelai. I think she's a smart person because at first, she acts super scared to try to, like, make it look like she is small and frail. Mm -hmm. And then she tells this intruder that she's police officer Lorelai Phelps. And he makes fun of her and then she flips him. She does. She uses every self-defense tactic I've ever seen and gets him on the floor on his back. It's pretty badass. The man gets back up and tells her now she's going to have to pay for that. And when he's making his slow, creepy walk towards her, one of the like washing machines pop open and out goes the laundry. And he kind of has a funny line. He's like, (laughs) laundry's done. Just like that. But then a soapy, scaly looking appendage pops out and a big ass monster crawls out of the washing machine. And it goes right for our creep. Who, by the way, his name is Lester. Oh, oh, Lester the Molester. I know exactly what I thought. (laughs) Lester the Molester. Oh, my God. Uh, We have the ESP, everybody. Yes. So the monster comes right for Lester and starts munching on him and um yeah it rips his head right off yep that's uh 
That's about it. Lorelai is able to back away and get the fuck out of the laundromat before we do this next transition where the cops are there. And this is my favorite moment of this whole episode is they're panning across the floor and you see the chalk outline of where Lester's body was. And then there's his body. And then about a foot away is the little outline of his severed head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That just cracked me up. But Lorelai is getting made fun of by by her lieutenant because he does not believe her version of events. So the lieutenant is basically accusing her of being crazy. And Lorelai says she doesn't make shit up. She doesn't tell crazy stories. She doesn't drink. And Phil says, neither did the man who saw a two-headed ogre last week or the housewife who found a dinosaur in her Volkswagen. So his parting shot to her after he tells her to have her uniform ready, you know, to uh, have a big old meeting with the boss tomorrow. Um, He peeks into the bag that I'm assuming has Lester's head it and comments, that monster sure has one hell of an overbite. The next day, Lorelai is walking around the city and come across a quaint little newspaper stand where a Tales from the Crypt comic catches her eye. And when she investigates further, oh, wouldn't you know it, eh? Look at all these strange cool winky dinks and types of monsters and findings. Yes, you have a monster with pretty pronounced overbite, a two-headed ogre, and what's that? A dinosaur inside of a Volkswagen? Hmm. And all say Jim Corman at the bottom. Back at the comic office, Bob and Art are shooting the shit and talking more ideas when, and I'm quoting Mildred now, a blonde bimbo secretary comes by with some papers. Yeah, wow. I mean, I do not support Mildred being jealous and controlling and abusive, but I think I would have some insecurities if my husband were working in an office. Yeah, the secretary is really pretty. Holy, she's hot, and she is dressed in a, like, a skin type tight, low-cut, like, sweater, like, and she is clearly milking her hotness, which, I mean, mean, more power to you, sis. I mean, you know, work, however you gotta work. (laughs) But yeah, I was like, ooh, okay, yeah, I would feel a little insecure (laughs) with someone that gorgeous walking around. And as if Mildred has, like, spidey senses in some way, Jim's phone starts ringing, and oh, it's Mildred checking up on him and making sure that he's not cheating on her, and Jim like, no, 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 all of the secretaries have gone home, but we know that is a bullshit lie. Mm-hmm. And this beautiful secretary comes to Jim's desk, gives him papers, and is also eye-fucking him. Bitches love Jim. I, I got nothing. Yeah, right? We'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah, women are just falling all over themselves for this guy. So after he hangs up the lovely conversation with Mildred, where she makes several threats, Jim, in a rage, draws a monster in a dress that kind of resembles Mildred. And in the hallway behind him, we you can see the shadow of a monster's claw reaching out. Ooh. And then Jim scraps the drawing and the shadow disappears. I really like the sound that the monster made because it's like, oh man, and then <laughs> boop, 
Gone forever. After work, Jim gets into his car only to get freaked the fuck out when Lorelai pops out from the back seat and tells him that they need to talk. Yes, they immediately recognize each other from the laundromat and she reveals that she is a police officer and she needs to ask him some questions. When he asks, how did you get into my locked car? She pulls out the old coat hanger. Wow, coat hangers have so many uses. <laughs> many, many uses. <laughs> Lorelai shows him the police sketches and the comic books, and it does this really cute, like, back and forth, like, look at this. Now look at that. Now look at this. Hmm, can you see the difference? It's like that scene in the office where Pam is telling Michael, can you spot the difference between these photos? They're the same. They are the same. I would also like to point out that the newspaper she handed him, I liked the headline. It was like, rapist foiled by laundry monster. Oh God, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I was like, I I hope I see a headline that looks like that (laughs) while I'm still alive. I mean, I probably won't see it after I'm dead, so. Or will you see it? after you're dead because you'll be haunting the newspapers. Giving you so many more choices to places to haunting. So Lorelai says that her theory is that his drawings are somehow coming to life and requests that he humors her and wants him to draw her a repulsive looking monster. So Jim gets to work but he is smitten with Lorelai. He makes sure to get rid of his wedding photo but I questioned, I was like, wait, but wouldn't he also have a wedding ring? But I checked. I did not see a wedding ring on his left hand. I noticed a band on his right hand on his ring finger. Hmm. I almost wonder, because he's drawing and he's using pencil, I wonder if he takes the ring off so it doesn't smudge. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm just guessing. Or if he's just a piece of shit. Right. Yeah, some people, some people will find any excuse to take their wedding rings off. I believe that campers is what we refer to as big ope energy. (laughs) The other little thing I notice here is that I feel like while Jim is drawing, when Lorelai is walking around, her shirt has one button undone. But then I feel like by the time he's done with the repulsive drawing, Mm -hmm. she's got a little bit more chest showing. A little bit more of the chesticles showing. Do it up, ma'am. Do it up. You do you. So Jim finishes this drawing of like a creepy zombie slimy creature coming out of a fridge. Afterwards, Jim tries to make a move on Lorelai and kiss her, but she stops him because the only thing she knows about him is that he draws horror comics. Yes, and he declares that he'll give up horror and start drawing romance comics, but he needs to do some research. First, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean, know what I mean? But hey, 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 girl. Hey, Lorelai. You know what else you don't know about Jim? He's fucking married even though his wife's a cunt. But yes. Still are married, my man. Still married, my dude. So things get awfully steamy and Lorelai bolts before things can uh, go too far. Good job, Lorelai. Yeah. Jim is not giving up, though. And he asks her to dinner. Oh, Jim. (laughs) Thing of note is that no monster has appeared yet. But in the next scene, 
scene, we have a group of kids playing army. And one of these kid brothers is so fucking cute. He's a little cutie patootie. Yes. We have the leader, who's the bigger kid named Butch, and he's rejecting his nerdy little brother, Douglas, who's just a precious little bean. Uh Uh-huh, small bean is left all alone to wander this abandoned factory or whatever the fuck they're playing. Uh, Yeah, this does not look safe at all. And there is a fridge, which is just so not safe. And Douglas thinks that someone is stuck inside of this old fridge because he can hear noise coming from it. Yeah, and this isn't like any fridge. This is like a... From the 50s fridge, so it's super hardcore. And then green slime starts oozing out of the bottom of it, which, child, this, this that should have been a hint. To fuck right off and run away. Yep, because, I mean, best case scenario, it's a rotting corpse. <laughs> That's the best case scenario when, <laughs> when green slime starts oozing out. But it was netherworld green. Yeah, it was netherworld green. So he tries to get the others to help him free whoever is trapped in the fridge. But Butch, being the older sibling, of course takes this as an opportunity to mock and make fun of little Douglas. And while Butch is too busy being a jackass, the little brother Douglas and all of the other friends are facing the fridge, which starts to open and you see a hand and it gets even grosser and the kids start running off and screaming and Douglas stops to look at the camera, breaking the fourth wall and says, and remember, I found him. (laughs) Yes, we don't see if the scary monster eats Butch or not. I'm assuming he got away. Butch did get away. He did run away. (laughs) Yeah, luckily, no children are harmed in this scene, but I bet their pants are ruined. Yeah, yeah, because that was it. That was really good effects work. The practical effects there to make that monster. He looks pretty good. So that night, Jim is, as usual, still at work, but is working on his romance comic. And before we discuss the next little bit, so throughout the scenes, you can see a very, very handsome man in the background whenever we're in the office. But I feel like this particular scene, you get a real good look at him. There he is. Sitting in the electric chair with the unit on his head, my husband, the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. He's just chilling. Like I said, this is a super meta episode. So good. Yes. But anyways, his editor Bob peeps over Jim's shoulder to take a look at what he's working at. And yeah, it's not scary. It's cute and unpleasant. It's a romance comic featuring Jim and Lorelai having a really nice dinner by candlelight, talking about how soft her skin is. Mm, And yeah, yeah, it's a bad time. And Bob's like, oh, did Mildred lose weight because you're feeling romantic? And Jim's just like, no, it's a long story. (sighs) Bob sees through your bullshit Mm. and then he fucks off. Yes, he does. And then the phone rings. But who could it be? Mildred? Why no, it's Lorelai. And Jim gets all flirty he once again asks her out on a date and they kind of start to uh, 
make some plans. But Major Ope wrapped up in romance. He totally missed Mildred coming in and catching the entire conversation he had with Lorelai on the phone. Yes, and, and Jim totally plays it off. Like Mildred clearly misinterpreted what he was saying and she, you know, and she misheard things because, you know, gaslighting. I mean, that's just the go-to, go-to defense mechanism for these sort of things. And Mildred announced is that she's got a surprise for Jim in the car. Now, why Jim doesn't think that's sketchy and low-key terrifying and he does not seem alarmed, I don't know. But what he does do is start redrawing monster Mildred again. And Mildred comes back in, shocker, with a gun. Who's surprised? I'm not. Like, this this lady is batshit. And Mildred finds his drawing of monster Mildred. She's a little confused about it and she's like, why did you draw me as a monster? Ma'am, 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 are you really surprised? The lack of self-awareness there, it is shocking. Jim tries to explain to Mildred again about how the pills are the root cause of all these weird fucking things that keep happening and that he'll just draw something and then if he thinks hard enough about it, it's gonna appear. And then poof, monster Mildred appears and human Mildred proceeds to taunt monster Mildred. Which was a mistake. Yup! Like, really, Mildred? That's your go-to? Like, like hurling insults left and right at Monster Mildred, who at first was focused on Jim. Yeah, because Monster Mildred is based off of regular Mildred, and Human Mildred is pissed at Jim, which means Monster Mildred is pissed at Jim. But one of the best insults that Human Mildred busts out is, Try some skin lotion, you zip face. Your complexion could scare a proctologist. Ah, Mildred. Mm. So human Mildred literally just won't stop taunting Monster Mildred until Monster Mildred finally has enough and turns on human Mildred. I think human Mildred missed her calling as a stand-up comedian, like, roster person. Roaster? Roaster person. Yeah, Yeah, totally missed her calling there. Right. And human Mildred attempts to shoot Monster Mildred, but turns out guns are not effective towards drawings come to life, unfortunately. And Monster Mildred starts to attack Human Mildred. Yeah, they're they're going through some stuff, you know, they're catching up, and Jim gets the fuck out of there, just as Lorelai was to walk inside. <sighs> Beautiful timing, ma'am. Yeah, and Lorelai is wearing a dress that is like... It's real nice. It's... There's not a lot to it. <laughs> it's very tight. There's lots of um less a chest area showing <laughs> but it is sexy as fuck and Jim is trying to rush her out of the building and Lorelai stops because she can clearly hear a commotion coming from the office they're just doing some remodeling. No big deal. I just, I, I, I cannot get over someone passing off the sound of their wife being murdered as remodeling noises. Yes, the, the sound of his wife being mauled to death by a big monster. Yeah, that's just the sound of a power drill. Don't worry about it, honey. Let's go. <laughs> So as the elevator door closes, it reopens to them having that very romantic dinner. Mm -hmm. And Lorelai says, Jim, are you married? And he says, 
Not anymore. Ugh, cringe. Uh, yeah. And then they kiss and that's the scene. Yeah. And then back at the crypt, Crypt Keeper is working on a drawing of Jim and Lorelai. And I did have to write this down. He says that Mildred ended up a monster piece. Ay. Ayo. I love it. And that's this week's episode. That is my best friend, Jenny, over there on that side of the table. Hi, that's my lifelong best friend, Taylor. Are you into ghosts, aliens, or murder? If you are, you are among friends because we love talking about terrible things too. It's why we started our podcast, A Little Bit Grim, where we would talk about the paranormal, true crime, folklore, conspiracies, cults, disasters, and every other heinous thing that could happen to a person. It's a little bit spooky with a little bit of comedy mixed in. Honestly, it's all just a little bit grim. And you can find us wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And you can find us on all social media platforms by searching for A Little Bit Grim. We'll see you there. Goodbye! All right, campers, it's time for everybody's favorite segment. Who's that ghoul? Doot, doot. All right, this episode was directed by Rowdy Harrington. What a fun name. Rowdy Harrington. Do you think he was really rowdy as a kid or is he pretty quiet? <laughs> for irony's sake, I hope he was a super quiet kid. Right. So Rowdy does not have a ton of directing creds, but he did direct the Patrick Swayze classic Roadhouse. And one of my uh, shameful faves, Jack's Back, which he also wrote. It's an 80s film starring James Spader. It is about a serial killer trying to reenact the crimes of Jack the Ripper. There's this whole twin angle. It's not a great movie, but I love James Spader. So, of course, I I own it. <laughs> you know, with a name like Jack's Back, I for some reason thought it was going to be a comedy. And then you started with the whole Jack the Ripper thing. And I was like, man, I can't think of a joke. Never mind. <laughs> it's okay. Rowdy was also a stage manager on the sitcom Growing Pains, which makes sense to me because this episode very felt very sitcom-ish. And he has one acting credit. He appeared in a panda suit in a 1975 episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Well, how lovely. Yes, that was the most random credit I've seen yet. Did he get to keep the suit? It's a good question. Next, we have Jim, played by the iconic... Harry Anderson Swoon. <laughs> For the record, I did not find him attractive as Jim, but he is one of my childhood crushes, and we'll get into that in just a second. So Harry Anderson is a magician turned actor. Oh God. We've we've discussed privately the magician thing. Yeah. I, I wish I knew why I was so attracted to the magicians, but like there's just something when they pull that disappearing act. It really gets me. Mm. For me, it's all about the sleight of hand. But anyways. <clears throat> so Harry got his start in acting, doing Shakespearean theater, and transitioned into TV and film in 1982, appearing as himself on Elvira's movie Macabre, and starred in a few movies that were neither here nor there. He then landed a recurring role on Cheers, and his... I would say career-defining role as my crush, Judge Harry T. Stone on the 80s classic 
Night Court. Oh my god, I loved Night Court so much as a kid. He later went on to do several Disney features. Not movies, but features. He was the absent-minded professor in two Magical World of Disney specials. And he played the Pied Piper in my obscure childhood fever dream favorite, Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme, starring Shelley Duvall. Like, oh. I, I seriously thought, <laughs> it like, <clicked. laughs> yep, I, I seriously for the longest time thought, like, that did not exist. This this thing that I'm remembering so clearly, because I had a weird obsession with Shelley Duvall that I also forgot about until I did Who's This School. Remember that? Remembered, oh, yeah, I had this weird obsession with Shelley Duvall, and I have no idea why. <laughs> when I think of Shelley Duvall, I think of you and our friend Jerry. Didn't Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall. If, <laughs> exactly. If you have, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to YouTube and type in "Hello, I'm Shelley Duvall." There are remixes. There's remakes. Just do it. It's Panthers, just a glo- just yeah. It's just a glorious piece of internet randomness that is Chef's Kiss. So after that, he went on to star in this, you know, little-known movie called It. Yay! Yeah, he played adult Richie. That's in- why he's so cute. Yeah, yeah, he played adult Richie. And then he went on to, after Night Court ended, he got another sitcom in the 90s called Dave's World, and he played Dave. He eventually left Hollywood, moved to New Orleans, where he opened a bar called Oswald's Speakeasy, where I guess he performed like a couple times a week. He would randomly go up and perform his magic. And he and his wife opened a store called Sideshow that was devoted to freakery, sideshows, magic, practical jokes, books, jewelry, and art. I want to go. Yeah, it is not there anymore. Boo. Yes, because a few years after Hurricane Katrina. Oh, right. Yes. He closed both up because these were both, I believe, in the French Quarter. They closed both of them up. They moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where he lived until (sighs) he sadly passed away on April 16th, 2018, at the age of 65. I forgot that he died. And then when I read that, I remembered hearing that he died and being crushed and that I was crushed all over again. I remember a friend of mine had written to him about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago and said like, hey, I like magic. I think you're cool. And that like Harry wrote him back like this really nice letter said hey you know like you know if you come to new orleans like come see me i'll you know i'll show you magic like everything i ever heard about the man was that he was absolutely a delight and oh gosh very sad that he passed all right so on to uh, uh just for the record that i know of nobody else in the who's this school is dead Oh, God. As of the recording date, I let me just add that caveat. As of recording date, no one else has died. You know what? I think going forward for who's that ghoul, even if it's not like big deal of who's like which character, we should always do which people have passed away so we can end it on a not bummer note. Right? So everyone else is alive. <laughs> um, all right. So next we have Mildred played by Colleen Camp. And I thought she looked familiar, but I couldn't quite place where I knew her. But we'll get to that. So Colleen started her career in film and TV in 1973. And nothing in her credits really stood out to me until we hit 1985. What happened? Well, this is when she played the puberty kickstarting role of Yvette 
in Clue. Yeah. The oh. the sexy French maid that like maybe go, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Made you want to do some role playing. Yes. Like one, I wanted a French maid costume immediately, but also I wanted, I wanted Yvette to come, you know, clean my house, please. <clears throat> oh, that's what you meant by come? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, but yes, if you've seen Clue, you know who we're talking about. My god, so hot, so incredibly sexy. Some other notable films that she's appeared in, Wayne's World. She was in the Babysitter's Club movie. She played Stacy's mom, which the second I realized that, I had that stupid song stuck in my head. I was gonna say, does yep. she got it going on? <laughs> yes, she did. She was in Speed 2. She was in Election and most recently, American Hustle. So you go, Colleen, you go. Next, we have Lorelai, played by Cynthia Gibb. She was a dancer turned model and eventually turned actress. She was even, as a model, on the cover of Vogue. Ooh. Yeah. Work. So she transitioned into acting in 1980, and by 83, she'd landed a role on the TV show Fame. She played Holly. I did not watch fame, so I don't know who that is, but I'm assuming she probably played a character who was a dancer, because she was a dancer. And she later went to star in films like Jack's Back. That's right! It's a twofer! Right? And she was also in Short Circuit 2. And then after that point, I could literally start a whole separate podcast just listing off all of Cynthia's TV movies. I'm not kidding you, this woman, for almost the rest of her career, did like 50 TV movies. Was she one of the Lifetime actors? I don't know. Like, so she was Karen Carpenter in the Karen Carpenter TV movie. But yeah, Cynthia Gibb, I mean, a ridiculous amount of TV movies. Like, I could not even start begin to dig into them because I was like, I'll be working on this all night. <laughs> and this, who's this school be an hour long? Well, then I guess I have a, a very important question about her. And mm-hmm. maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but sure. does she have any after school specials? No. What? Yes. This is bullshit. I know. Does anybody in this episode? No. What the fuck, Tish? I know. I'm very (laughs) upset about it, but there's still some good, there's still a few good credits left. Okay. So then we have Art, who was one of Jim's, you know, wise Kraken co-workers at Tales from the Crypt. He was played by Lance Davis. Lance Davis, talk about like meta and such, Lance Davis played Chet on Invitation to Love, which was the TV show featured on Twin Peaks. Oh. Yes. And later he had a small role in Showgirls. Did he? Yes. I do love watching Showgirls. It is quite a movie treat. Yes. And then we have Lester the Molester, played by Richard Schiff. Tales from the Crypt was his fourth acting role ever. And his credit list is massive. So massive. The biggest one in this episode so far. So I just picked some notable highlights. He was in Seven. He played the defense attorney for John Doe. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. He gets ripped apart 
hurt by two dinosaurs in Lost World. He was one of the good guys. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So if you've seen Lost World within it, and you remember the guy who gets picked up out of the Jeep by one dinosaur, and then another one comes up and bites him, and they just rip him in half. Yep, that's him. Whoop, whoop. He played Toby Ziegler on West Wing, and currently he's playing Dr. Glassman on The Good Doctor. And then we have one that made me scratch my head for a second. It's credited as Utility Monster. Utility Monster. And I was trying to figure out what the hell that means. I think, at minimum, based on who it is, I think he was the monster in the fridge, the slimy zombie-looking monster. Is it Doug Jones? No. Okay. But he may have been all of the people in the monster suits, and they just decided to call him, you credit him as utility monster. I I don't know. But it is Tom Woodruff. Hmm. Generally, he plays uncredited monsters in films. He did Tremors, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, but he was famously the Gill Man in Monster Squad, aka the creature from the Black Lagoon, which they couldn't call him that because Universal (laughs) owned the rights. He was Pumpkinhead. Oh, was he? Yes, yes, he was the person in the Pumpkinhead costume. Neat. And most recently, he played Officer Burke in the Mortuary Collection. God, that movie's so good. Yes. Fun Uh, fact, campers, that movie is the whole reason I bought Shudder. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. That was, it's a great horror anthology if you have access to Shudder. Highly recommend. It's like seven dollars a month maybe one day we'll have a promo code please oh come on shutter come through shutter so that is this week's who's that ghoul well camp counselor tish i come to you on this the day of my 30th birthday (laughs) with a very important question did you like this episode (sighs) huh I would say I give this episode one severed thumb up. What? Yeah, I know, I know, I'm going there. The, so the things I liked about it, I mean, I liked that it was a return to the humor, you know, because we were missing that in the last episode. But I felt like the humor was a little, it was too much. It was over the top. It was not like a natural comedic timing sort of thing, which is weird because Harry Anderson like has natural comedic timing. I felt like everything was a little too over the top, which I think if there had been a lot like more horror, I don't know, I think it would have balanced out for me personally, but yeah, felt very sitcom-y. But like, one, I love Harry Anderson. So two, I liked the story. I loved, loved the monsters. The little bit of gore we did get in the beginning. Boy, I did love seeing Lester's severed head hit the floor. Yeah, and I think just, I think, uh, you know, the my feminist senses were a little like, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the overbearing wife trope. I mean, it worked and I wasn't a fan of, you know, uh, Jim either because I was like, you're <laughs> Both terrible people, Jesus. Like stay married. Just stay with each other. Or get a divorce and maybe seek therapy. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna give it one severed thumb up. So what about you? Did you like this episode? So I'm going to strongly disagree with you because so this episode is based off a comic and mm-hmm. it is edited like the comic. Even the transitions between scenes is like you're flipping the page of a comic, which is also why it has that weird timing and like everything's just so cheesy. So I'm giving it two severed thumbs up, but this is where I think I may have had too much cold medicine. (laughs) 
because I definitely started to like overthink this episode and the fourth wall because then I'm starting to think like, well, hold on. What if this is like an M. Night Shyamalan movie and this episode is one of Jim's comics because like he basically made Lorelai like he brought in that final scene with them having the romantic mm-hmm. dinner. So now I'm wondering like, is Lorelai a real person? Did this even happen? What the fuck is this episode? What's happening? And in conclusion, Camper, sometimes cold medicine is not your friend. Uh, we agree to we we agree, we agree to, disagree. to disagree. Yes, <laughs> that will happen. See, campers, mommy and daddy aren't fighting. We just don't agree. <laughs> we still love each other very much. <laughs> We're gonna go get ice cream after this. It's gonna be fine, kids. It's gonna be fine. All right. Whew. That was episode 13. We're plowing through this season. We're almost done. We should be done with season two mid-January because one moment. This episode is coming out on Thursday the 16th, which means our next episode would be on the 23rd. However, campers, if you liked our Halloween episode, we have something similar happening for that particular holiday weekend as well. That I should probably finish writing and sending to Tish to be like, does this make sense? Great. Because it's my turn to write a story. Yay! All right, campers. You know what time it is. It's time where I tell you, if you want to support the show, you can follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And maybe leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, pretty please. And if you want to get in touch with us, our email is campcreeppodcast at gmail.com. Yes, and you can find us online at Camp Creep Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we're Camp Creep Pod. And don't forget to support the network we're on, Joy Road Media. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They have a pretty killer TikTok channel. Just saying, just saying. Take a listen to You Made Me Watch, Great Lakes Confidential, Truthcast, and all the other super cool Michigan-based podcasts. Yes. All right, campers. And as always, Creep It Real. Real.